Tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour, who is your sanctification? Right, who is your sanctification? We're going to explore that as we go through 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. That's tonight on the West Coast Gospel Hour. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. So join us as we go through the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Hey, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us tonight as we continue in our study of 1 Thessalonians. We've started chapter 4 and we begin that tonight. Uh, and it is so exciting. We're uh, going to give it a few minutes here to invite everyone on. And uh, may God bless you all as you're uh, joining us. God's word is so wonderful to go through. And uh, this series has been absolutely amazing uh, that we're going through. So... Thanks for joining us all here tonight. We'll give it a few minutes for everyone to get on board. How's everyone doing? I love this song. The cross at the cross Surrendered my life Again all of you Have you surrendered your life to Christ? At the cross, on bended knee, did you ask Jesus to become Lord of your life? Romans 10 says, who that declares that the Lord, right? That means Jesus is your king. Pretty awesome, right? And I know it's a hard time of the season for a lot of you some of you have lost family members as i have you're going through a lot you're kind of thinking to yourself you know man i don't know how i'm going to get through this holiday season without that loved one but god wants you to know that you're not alone so take your burdens those heavy burdens and lay them at the cross Slam there. And allow Jesus to take the pain and the heartache that you're feeling. And allow him to remove it. Well, tonight we are in 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we're going to be going right here through um, chapter 4. Verses 1 through 12. But before we do, let's begin in prayer. For those who are joining us, invite your friends. Dear Father God, we pray, O Lord, that you would help us tonight as we are going through this incredible passage, Lord, on sanctification and who is our sanctification. And so this, O God, we ask you that you would help us, purify us, O God, in our hearts and in our minds so that we may live a life in which the flesh is crucified so that you would receive the glory in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, Matt's forgiven. Haven't seen you for a while. Yes, you are early. You are early. Um, someone here asks, oh, I'm early. Yay. 
You are early. All right. Well, let's begin with the scripture reading for tonight. Once again, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And remember, a little background, just a reminder here. This is a mostly a Gentile church. So the letter here is a little bit different from the other letters that Paul has written because this church is mostly Gentile. And uh, so as we're going through that, we, we've seen a different structure in this letter, which rightfully so. Paul knows his audience. Um, and that's what any of us would do if we were speaking to a specific audience. If I was speaking to a bunch of senior citizens, I'd be bringing up a lot of historical facts and figures for them to understand. If I'm talking to a lot of youth who don't know history, you know, I'm talking different. I'm bringing in different facts and figures for them. And um, that is exactly what Paul is doing. He's speaking to their language. So if you remember in uh, the previous verse, it was a prayer, verses 11 through um, 13. It's the second prayer in this book that Paul prays. And now he's here on chapter 4, and let us begin. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this manner, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. May the Lord bless the reading of his scripture. Well, it's so good to have you all with us tonight. Thank you all for joining. There's a whole slew of you that came in. Wow, awesome. Uh, and Christy Billion's in the house. Nice to see you. So let's unpack this and um, let's begin. So in verse one, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know that the commandments we have, we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay. So as we're unpacking this, the first thing we realize is he's saying that you should abound more and more. And he's saying, I want to urge you, brothers, I'm exhorting you in the Lord Jesus. So he's encouraging them in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. 
and just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Well, the question then is asked, abound more and more in what? Well, if you look at the previous verses in verse 12, he says to you, and he uses the exact word, abound. He says, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. Love to one another and to all. You know, and this is tough. We talked about this last week in First Thessalonians, the prayer. That we are to pray to God that we not only love one another, but we love those who are not of the brethren of Christ, who are not part of the body of Christ. We're to love them also. We're to love, we talked about it, praying for President Biden and for the Democrats. And that is so tough because, you know, we, in one sense, we want to, you know, get upset with them, but that's not what we're to do. And so Paul is exhorting again. He repeats the phrase here in verse one of chapter four. He says that you should abound more and more. And he repeats it again, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. How, how do you ought to walk in love? How do you please God? By loving your neighbor as yourself, right? We get that from what? Galatians, which says the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you please God? The great, the scribe asked Jesus, what's the great commandment? Hear, O Israel, there's what one God, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, right? And then he says to him in verse two, for you know the commandment we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, this is interesting because Paul, the rabbi, isn't saying the commandments of Moses. Think about that for a moment. He's not even bringing Moses up into the discussion. He's saying, no, it's the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, meaning the ones that Jesus gave us, we're giving you. Now, this is important because when Jesus did his sermon on the mount, he didn't condemn the law. In fact, he took the law and he took it to a level so high that we can't achieve it on our own. He's, for example, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I tell you that if you even look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. Wait a moment. That's crazy. You have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I tell you that if you even hate someone, say, say to someone, I hate you, you've committed murder in the eyes of God. So Jesus is taking the standard of the law and he's raising it up. But here's what he gives us. And this is the commandment that Paul is referring to. It's John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you. It's actually not a new one. It's an old one. Jesus is just rephrasing it and he's making them understand it's important. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, I want you to love others as I've loved you. That you love one another. And by this, the whole world, all men will know that you love one another, that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. Oh, wait. So what is he saying? If you want the world to recognize that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. They will know that that's the case by your love. Not by your anger, not by your wrath, not by your rage, not by your comments. Not by your Facebook posts. 
but by your genuine love that you show to those who are both deserving and undeserving of your love. The bitter, angry person on the corner, your neighbor that's ridden you hard ever since you moved into the house. You love them. And by that love, the world will recognize that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think about that all the time. My aunt moved in with a neighbor and the neighbor made my aunt's life miserable. And my aunt just refused, refused to repay unkindness with unkindness and loved her. And one day the lady was moving out of her home and she came over to my aunt. She says, I, I have to tell you something. She said, um, I'm really sorry for the way I've treated you these years. And my aunt was blown away by that. And she said, oh, okay. She didn't, know, she didn't even know how to respond. And the lady said, you know, I just recently became a Christian. <laughs> my aunt screamed, hallelujah! Like, it was worth it all. You came in, you're part of the sisterhood. You know? And, and she said, all I could think about in the last few years was how you just wouldn't respond in unkindness to me. And it irked me. And it provoked me. And finally I decided that I wanted what you had. And I started going to church. And I found out about Jesus and I became a Christian. And I just wanted to tell you, I'm so sorry. And my aunt was like, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry that you're moving out now. <laughs> you know, I want you to stay. <laughs> but it was all part of God's plan. It was all part of God's plan. He softened the woman's heart by my aunt refusing to compromise and loving her back unconditionally. She came to Christ. That's really, really hard. That's so hard to do, but it means crucifying the flesh. And that's where we go into verse three, because this is why Paul then says, for this is the will of God. It's the will of God. Your sanctification. What do you mean your sanctification? That you discipline your flesh because of your love for others and for God. You discipline the flesh. And that sanctification, what is it done by? It's done by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not you doing, it's the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, causing you to recognize I need to crucify aspects of my flesh. For this is the will of God. Right? Think about Romans 12, 1 and 2 in, in your mind as you're going through this, right? Think about that. It's the renewing of your mind so that you may understand what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable. And so it is the will of God here in verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification. Listen to those words because they're, that sentence right there, I could almost spend a week on. That you, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, the flesh, in sanctification and honor. 
in sanctification and honor. Honoring who? Jesus, God your Father. The sanctification done by the Holy Spirit. Done by the sancti- by the Holy Spirit. Here. This is so important, guys, what we're going through, because one of the key aspects to this is this phrase right here. And this is first, this is John 17, 17. Sanctify them. This is Jesus praying at this moment. He's praying and he's saying, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what, one of the ways that you sanctify your vessel in honor of God is through the word of God. David prayed this. He said, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you, O Lord. Why did he hide in his heart? Because he had the word overcoming the desires of his heart so that he would not sin. Because it is James that says this very clearly. No one should say God is tempting me, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desires, the heart. Okay? His desires from the heart. And after desires conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. So it is in this concept that we sanctify ourselves. But then there's in this verse too. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who does this? It's Jesus, the God of peace. He sanctifies you. So your sanctification is done by Christ. And then you have 2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. That's what sanctification means, to be set apart. Useful to the master of the house. Who's the master of your house? Well, you can only serve one master. So it's either Satan or it's Jesus. Ready for every good work. We need to be ready for every good work. So the sanctification is there. And then finally this. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in truth. And that goes back to John 17, 17. Okay, what he said. That's so important. I'll say that one more time for those of you who came in. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it's by the Spirit through the word of God. And this is why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you error. Because you do not know the word of God, nor do you know the power of God. The power of God represents the Holy Spirit in us, but the word of God in us is what teaches us and it transforms our minds and renews our hearts to be desiring of God. And you show me a Christian and I'll know them by their fruits, but I'll know them truly how much they are in the word of God. Show me your Bible and I can tell in a few minutes if you're reading it. Show me. I'll know. 
And those people who read their Bibles, it's funny. I never get the messages from them. Hey, I'm wondering if I'm really saved, brother. And I always go back to it. Are you reading your Bible? Are you in your word? Is your Bible a mess because of all the underlines that you've made in it? Well, no. Every time, that's the answer. I'm not in it. Sorry, man. I'm not in my word. Well, that's how you honor God. By being in the word. By being in that sanctification process where the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. Now, he then says in verse 5, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. And it's interesting. He doesn't just say not by lust. He says not in passion of lust. Man, that is exactly one of the key phrases to helping us understand. It's the passion of lust. It's I got to have, I got to have, oh, I'd love to have, I got to. And it's not just lusting after sexual morality that he's talking here. He's talking about your passion for lusting all things of this world. All things of this world. And the lust of this world is going to bring decay. The world is going to pass away. But the word of God stands forever, the Bible says. And then he says to you, don't do this like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother. And he goes back to that idea of brotherly love. Why? Why should you not defraud or take advantage of your brother? Because you love him. Because you're keeping the commandment of Jesus Christ. That you love one another because you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So the Christian should never take advantage or defraud his brother in any kind of manner. Sexual, as Paul is talking about here, lustful, covetedness, none of these methods. Because the Lord is the avenger of such. Isn't that interesting? God is going to avenge the brother that you defraud and that you wrong and you take advantage of. Wow. Wow, right? Man, that is tough. And I got to tell you that there are so many times at work that I have the opportunity to take advantage of the situation. And I have painfully, to my detriment at times, made sure that none of the salespeople there can say Stefan is a greedy salesman. That he takes what doesn't belong to him. I've given up far more. I've made sure that people, oh yeah. In fact, I don't even like to go to the office and go, hey, this guy took a deal away from me that was actually my deal. You know, I'm supposed to be on it. I don't do that. I don't sit there and cry about it. Now, if it's blatant and it's just disrespectful and it's just a blatant thing that the guy did on purpose um, to be vicious or something, I will go. But it's happened in the last seven years, I can think of three times. Three times. But most of the time, people will tell you. The guys I work with, and and, and it's kind of interesting, the guys I work with, the four guys I work with right now, they will tell you, I bend over backwards to make sure that they don't feel that I'm taking advantage of the situation. 
because of this, this verse. Not only because three of the guys in the office are Christians, but it's the two guys that aren't that I want to make sure that they know that I love them unconditionally. I want them to come to Christ. As well as the guys on the, the new car side who are like a bunch of sharks. Um, we, we joke that it's the dolphins on the used car side and the sharks on the uh, on the new car side. Um, but it's because the Lord is the avenger of such. I don't want the Lord av- avenging the person I've defrauded and, and having it come on me because I did wrong. I don't want the Lord's vengeance on me. Not at all. And neither should anyone. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness. Yes. What does God call us to? Holiness. Be holy for I am holy, the Lord says. Right? We talked about that last week. But in holiness, that's what God wants us to be. He called us to, un, to for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but holiness. Holiness. And then he says this in verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man. You're not rejecting man because man could care less. Man is unscrupulous, right? We're all sinners for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God, who is the one that you're rejecting, who has given us his Holy Spirit. Why did he give us the Holy Spirit? to comfort us, to sanctify us, to teach us, to provide wisdom for us, to give the gifts of the Holy Spirit to us, right? And the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, right? All those things found in the book of Galatians. And then Paul doubles down on what he began with when he said, I want you to abound more and more. What did he want us to abound more and more in? For those of you who are listening, it was love. Love, right? I want you to abound more and more in love. And he says in verse nine, but concerning brotherly love. So he goes back to it. He doubles back down on it. Concerning this brotherly love that I've been telling you about, I shouldn't have to write to you again. I have no need to write to you about it. You already know it, right? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You're taught by God. I'm not the one teaching this. God taught you this. Jesus. When he gave you that commandment, right? This is the new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13, 34, and 35. So, and indeed, he tells the church of Thessalonica, indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. All the brethren in all Macedonia. Paul is telling this church of Thessalonica, you do it. I don't have to teach you this. You already do it. But he then says this, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. He's like, you're already doing it to all the brethren in all of Macedonia, but you need to do more. You need to grow in more love for one another. Can you imagine that? He's telling you, don't be satisfied with the amount of love you have because it's not enough. Keep loving God, keep loving others. 
Because the more you do this, the more sanctified you become in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Because the more love you have, the more the Holy Spirit can grow you and have you recognize what sin is in your life because you love God so much that you're starting to hate the sin. You see the sin the way God does and you don't want to compromise anymore because you're crucifying the flesh. Wow. And then he says this, in that you aspire to lead a quiet life. This is verse 11. Now, here's where he gives you this verse 11 and 12 that you really need to pay attention to because this is kind of... Um, Paul giving you instructions as how to live in that life that's sanctified where you're loving God and loving others. He says, lead a quiet life, number one. Lead a quiet life. Don't be the storm. Be the peace in other people's storm. That's number one, what he's saying. To mind your own business. Mind your own beeswax, right? Don't meddle into other people's affairs. Mind your own business. Keep your head down. Do what's right. You know, don't be involved in the local gossip at the water cooler or at the Starbucks cafe. Avoid that morning gossip ring at work. And then he says this to yourself, to, to us. So number one, lead a quiet life. Number two, mind your own business. Number three, to work with your own hands. By the way, this is a big deal. This is a really big deal because what he's saying here is uh, work with your own hands. Have a job where you're self-employed doing your own work, manufacturing, okay? Do it with your own hands. This is critical because Paul is clearly matching up with the rest of the Bible where Paul is saying, yeah, it's capitalism, not socialism, okay? Why is that the case? Remember what happened in 1 Samuel a couple weeks ago? We read this where the, the army of Israel was using pitchforks and wooden spears and stuff because they didn't have any swords. Why didn't they have any swords? Because only two people in all of Israel had swords. The king, King Saul, and Jonathan. Well, where did they get this? Why didn't they have swords? Because the Philistines had said, you can't have swords. In fact, they had done away with any ability, any ability for the Israelites to sharpen their farming tools. So in order to sharpen a farming tool, you had to go to the Philistines and pay them to sharpen your fire, your farming tools. You know, your hoes, your pickaxes, all those things. Yeah, they had to go to the Philistines to sharpen them because the Philistines had prevented them from getting swords, making swords, and even sharpening the farm tools they had why did they do this? Because that's the first thing that Satan always does. He takes away your freedom. Your freedom to bear arms, your, free, your right to self-defense, your ability to manufacture things. And that's what communism is. You see, even in the time of Israel, Satan was, was affecting communism in their time frame, And this is why they were so succumbed. Remember, the, this was the, the people of God who came out of Egypt, who, who fought with Joshua, who went into Canaan, wiped out the land, and all these things. And all of a sudden they get to Saul and they don't, can't even make swords anymore. And so he says, 
Go work with your own hands. Look, what's wrong with our country is we're not manufacturing anymore. We're shipping everything to China. Everything is being done in China. Our chips, our running boards, our, our moon roofs, everything is Chinese made. And so Paul is telling you, go work with your own hands as we commanded you. This isn't me trying to be political here. This is what sound biblical doctrine is. Go get your own business so that you're not relying on others so that you can't be compromised in your faith. If you own your own business, you can share the gospel. My grandfather, when he had his butcher shop in Nazi Germany, he would share the gospel with people when they came in. Why? You're coming into my business. I'm going to share the gospel. And then he says it again, he doubles down, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside. Outside of what? Your workplace. And then he says it again, and that you may lack nothing. Why? Because if you're owning your own business and you're self-sufficient, God's going to provide for you and you're not lacking. But if you're relying on always working for others or for other countries to make your products, you're at their will you're beckoned to them and this is what we've become we've become a nation of servants instead of a nation of manufacturing you know one of the great racist crimes in this country one of the great racist crimes and and i'm sure with with all the 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 black individuals i have in this audience they can list a bunch of them but this is the greatest racist crime in the 1970s, if you go to the 50s and 60s, the middle class black man was very wealthy in this country. Very wealthy. Why? Because we had a system of education in which when you got to high school in your junior and senior years, and you can ask your grandparents about this, you could decide to become a plumber apprentice or an electrician apprentice in the high school. And you would sign up for the apprenticeship program. You graduate from high school. You had a job as a plumber and, a, and an electrician, whichever one you had chosen, if you want to. Now, if you didn't want that, you could continue your education. You could go to, go to college. You could spend the money on college, get your degree. But what happened is the majority of these people in the inner cities, they became plumbers and electricians. And they were the backbone of this country. In fact, industries, factories were all throughout the inner cities of the United States in the 50s and 60s. And this is why in the 50, 40s and 50s, the majority of blacks were voting Republican. Well, they didn't like that. So in the 1970s, guess what they eliminated? The apprenticeship programs throughout the school. And what did you start having? And this, they started doing this in California in the, in the mid-60s. They started eliminating the apprenticeship programs in the schools for black kids. And so this middle-class income that was quite wealthy, and most of these black families were sawed, they stuck together, they didn't have divorce in the black families. None of this was going on. And all of a sudden, they started having problems. And they started having race issues. And you started having the Watts riots that happened. And why? Because they couldn't get jobs. And all of a sudden, the factories were being pushed out of the inner cities and they were being pushed out in the suburbs and in, in the outskirts, the factories were. And so they couldn't get the jobs. Well, then the CIA comes in and says, you know what we're gonna get you to do? We're gonna get you to sell drugs. 
And all of this was part of the Democrat Party's platform. You need to go to college. You need to be in debt. You need to have $400,000 in debt. Why? Because you're enslaved to us then. We can tell you what to do, what to think. Because they didn't like this uppity black middle class that thought for themselves. You know what's funny about Jackie Robinson? People don't know this. Jackie Robinson, he was a Republican. He voted for Nixon. A lot of people don't know that. There was a strong black middle class that was wealthy, that was had what was going on. All of a sudden, it was destroyed overnight in less than a decade. Now those apprenticeship jobs, they're gone. In fact, the last one was eliminated in the 1990s under Bill Clinton. And gone. Can't do it. No wonder they're upset. No wonder the black community is angry. No wonder they feel like all they've got is no hope upon no hope. And this is why Paul is saying, no, don't be dependent on others. Don't, you're not the victim. Stop pretending you are. Go find work that you can do with your own hands, where you're self-reliant, that you don't need to live on the expectation of somebody else where they can dictate to you. Think about it right now. How many people are getting fired across the country? But if they had their own business, they could tell, hey, I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to listen to you. I refuse to. I'm, I'm going to keep these people in because they're not only my employees, but they've been helping my small business grow. And that's how you take care of the body of Christ. Because now you can have a small business. You can say, yeah, I'm going to hire this Christian over here who just got fired from there. I'm going to hire him on. We're going to do this. And this is what Paul is talking about. Look, and this, by the way, is the greatest act of love. If you can employ someone who's desperately in need of a job, is that not the love of Jesus Christ? Is that not godly love to empower someone to become wealthy? Because what is the old adage? I can give you a fish, but you're going to be hungry tomorrow. But if I teach you how to fish, you'll be able to feed your family forever, right? That's what God is talking about. That's why socialism is not in the Bible, why Jesus was not a socialist and why this is such a blatant lie. And it really goes back all the way to the Old Testament where the Israelites were enslaved by the Philistines even when they weren't because they had to go to them to sharpen their own farming tools their mattoxes and their pickaxes. Can you imagine? And that's exactly what's happening to us. We need all of our parts made from everything from nails to screws. It's all got to be made in China. Why? Because it's okay for China to pollute the world, but we can't do that here. And I don't, I still can't figure out how making a screw is pollution. But it is because we've all lost our screws. In our main, in our own mind. We're all screw loosed over here. And it's in that area where God is saying, not lacking anything. Because if you're doing that, you're living that quiet life. You're working hard. You're minding your own business. Guess what? You're now having more time to spend with the Lord. One of my favorite things is gardening. I, for those of you who listen to me for several years, you know I love gardening. You know why I love gardening? Because it teaches me a ton about God. 
I get my hands dirty. I feed my own family. I don't have to spend money at the grocery store. It's like the biggest win there, right there. I get to eat the fruit of my labor. But more importantly, I'm in that garden and I am praying. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for others. But I'm also experiencing the wonders of what God is doing in, in my life and in my time of talking to him. Jesus was a carpenter. Carpenter. Doing exactly what Paul did. Paul was a tent maker. And the reason why is when you're working hard and you're focused on that, you have the time not to have your boss go rah, 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 all day long. You have the time to think about the Lord as you're working. You have the time to give praise and give thanks to the Lord as you're working. You have time to, to spend with the Lord as you're working because you're the boss. You're making those things. And as you're making them, you're praying. You're thinking about things. And it's a good thing. I see this with my brother-in-law. He's an optometrist. He owns his own, his own business. And I'm seeing all the people that he talks about with the Lord. All the people who are afraid and, and anxious. And he would say, don't worry about it. I got you. How he gave away toilet paper to everyone in his office because they couldn't get toilet paper. And he had a bunch, you know, from the, from the commercial being a, an optometrist. He had it brought in and he's like, here, take it, take it. And they're like, really? Yes, take it. You need toilet paper, you can have it. And he did that for them. And no one lost their job. And they're working, they're so loyal to him. It's unbelievable. I've never seen such loyalty. Whenever I go to get my glasses done, I, I go to him and, I, and the loyalty is amazing. And he's got probably, for an optometry shop, he's probably got 20 employees. But he's, he has the ability to share the gospel. And we've got to go back to manufacturing things in this country. We've got to go back to empowering the inner cities. Because when we did, they weren't on drugs. They weren't committing crimes. They weren't committing 50 murders a weekend like Baltimore and Chicago. And it wasn't black on black crime. Why? Because they were working. It wasn't even a thought pattern. In fact, they were the people that owned those businesses. Those were their customers. In their own communities. And they were taking care of them. And they were loving them. But when you strip that away. And you force socialism on people. Selfishness runs amok. Because in the end of the day. The Christian needs to love God. And love others. And being a servant to others with, with providing the work that they need and helping them demonstrates to others who you are and how much you love them. I think about this plumber that, that comes to my home all the time. He started out with my mom and dad. Actually, I, I met him and I recommended him to my, to my mom and dad and my mom and dad used him. And my mom and dad led him to Christ. And where I am at, it's probably an hour and a half away from his house. But if I call him up, he's like, no problem. I'll be there on Thursday. Every time. Doesn't even say anything. Comes all the time. Always tries to cut the bill back and I don't let him do it. Every time I'm like, no, no, I'm paying. I'm paying. 
And I use him every time because I know the work is going to be done right. And he's so grateful. He always asks about how my mom is doing. He cried when my dad passed away. He's just a great guy. But that relationship started when I met him years ago and introduced him to my parents. And my parents led him to Christ. And he's so grateful. He's got this beautiful wife. He's got kids. He's walking with Jesus. And you know what? That's, that's what we need to do. That's how we need to behave. That's how we need to act. That's how we need to love. So abound more and more in your love. Allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to change you, to transform you. And do the work of the gospel. Aspire to lead that quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands, as we commanded you. Walk properly towards those who are on the outside that you may lack nothing. Because Jesus, in the end of the day, is going to be your provider. He's going to provide everything. He's going to provide your sanctification through the Holy Spirit. He provides your salvation through what he did on the cross. And he's going to meet your needs because we have one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. One mediator. He's our mediator. So we give thanks. And we take our burdens to the cross and we say, okay, Lord, I can make it without you. I'm going to fail. But with you, you will guide my path straight every time. Amen. Priscilla put in there. Uh, Miss Celia put in there. Oh, God bless you, sister. First John 4, 7 and 8. Yep. For God is love. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I know a lot of you did not know that about what took place in the in the fifties and sixties with the uh, apprenticeship programs that every high school had. It is clear that the mess that we're in is one of our own making, and it is because of greed. And as a Christian, the core of every sin is the lust of the flesh, the lust for greed, the lust to covet, the lust for these things. Don't let God bring vengeance on you because you took advantage of somebody else. And don't be like the Muslim who says, well, I can do that because they're an infidel. No, God will bring vengeance on you. That's the other takeaway from this passage. It really disturbs me. Live an uncompromised life. Don't compromise. Walk in the Spirit. That was it for tonight. Um, see you tomorrow for Topical Thursday. Um, God bless you all. Keep me in your prayers. Oh, one other thing. Um, real quick announcement. Um, my new post, The Biblical Congruency of Rebellion. The third post, the third in the series on lawlessness is now on figtreewatchers.com. You can go to figtreewatchers.com. You can see the post on there. Um, and um, tomorrow takes 24 hours. This video will be on figtreewatchers.com. And remember, Telegram, you can look at it. You don't even have to be on Telegram. You can see our posts that we're putting the news sources on there. And um, just keep that up. And someone asked, what do you need prayer for? Health. My health is a big issue right now. 
Um, and number two, um, work is is really, really horrifically slow right now. Um, we're feeling it in California really, really badly. So um, just pray for that, that, that sales will increase for me because it's, it's coming to the point where the other Christian guys and I are, we're looking at each other going, what, <laughs> what is going on here? How are we supposed to feed our families? And um, so pray for us. We, we really, we desperately need prayer. And pray for California. We need a miracle here. We really do. So, um, but thank you for asking. That's what I need prayer for. My health, serious issues. And um, uh, I couldn't even make it for Saturday apologetics because of being in bed with a migraine the whole day. Um, and um, also for for uh, work. And for my other brothers and who are Christians at work, man, they need the help too. I mean, we all need it. It's, I, I want them to succeed as much as I succeed. And so pray for them as well. Okay. God bless you all. And good night. And go read the new post up on figtreewatchers.com. Figtreewatchers.com, the biblical congruency of rebellion. Good night, everyone. God bless.